If you do have your Bible, take it out. And this morning, we're going to be in a couple places, but first turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start in Acts chapter 2. And then if you want to flip over to John chapter 4, we're going to be in John chapter 4 as well for just a little bit. So turn to Acts chapter 2, and we'll start there. What we're doing the next few weeks, we started last week, but we're just doing just a short mini-sermon series as we make our way towards a revival that we're going to be having on August the 18th. And so on August 18th, we have a speaker coming, John Reed. He's an evangelist, and he'll come share the Word of God. And what we're praying for is for God just to move in an incredible way. For most of my life, anyway, I grew up with revivals in the church that I was attending. And really, revival was just a date on a calendar. That's all it was. It was a date. We would always have two every year, one in the spring and one in the fall. And so that's what revival came to me, just a date on a calendar, just an event that we had at our church. But that's not what true biblical revival is. What biblical revival is, is just a move of God. It is just the presence of God coming into a place and changing people's lives forever. And so that's what I'm praying for on August 18th, that God would just manifest himself in here like we've never experienced, and we would truly experience revival, biblical revival, like we see in Acts chapter 2. And so what we're doing is just looking there at Acts chapter 2, and really we're just looking for some ingredients to revival. Because just like you make a pie or a cake, there are certain things that you add to that pie or cake, or certain things that you don't, because it wouldn't be very good. And so I'm just trying to share with you from a biblical perspective some ingredients to true revival. And so last week we started that and we talked about prayer. And really for us, that's our most important thing that we can do for revival to truly happen, for someone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, or for our lives to be changed, and that is through prayer. So I asked you to start praying for revival and praying for individuals in your life that you know need Jesus Christ. So we started there. And this morning, I'm just going to share another ingredient that I think is truly biblical and imperative if we want to experience revival. When I was growing up, my grandmother who I spent a lot of time with, my grandparents growing up, one of the things that she loved to do is she would cook and she would bake all the time. That's really all that she would do. And as I was growing up as a child, I was a fat baby. I mean, and not only was I a fat baby, I was a fat little boy for a long period of time because my grandmother would make me anything I wanted to eat. She would make it and I would, guess what? I would eat it. So every time I went to her house, which was often, she would always have peanut butter fudge for me because I love peanut butter fudge. So she would always have a tin of peanut butter fudge. She would have chocolate fudge. Y'all probably don't know what this is, but she had Martha Washington candy. If you ever had Martha Washington, I love Martha Washington candy. So if you can make me, make me some. I've had it in a long time, but I love Martha Washington. But she would make whatever I wanted. And I, I believe to this day that my grandmother is in heaven right now, and her job in heaven is to bake and cook desserts because one day I'm going to get to eat those desserts again. Because you know what we're going to eat in heaven, right? We're going to eat in heaven, amen? Okay, go read about it. The wedding supper of the Lamb, the wedding feast of the Lamb. We're going to eat in heaven, so somebody's got to cook that. And guess what? You're going to have a job in heaven. Maybe your job's to cook. If you're not a good cook, I hope not. But in heaven, we're going to get to eat, and calories don't count in heaven, so I'm not going to be a fat little boy in heaven. But one thing I remember about my grandmother when she used to cook is a lot of times she would get in a hurry, and Paige can attest to this. But one time, I remember she made me a chocolate cake. And I don't remember what the occasion, but she made a chocolate cake. And right next to her stove, she had containers of flour, salt, and sugar. And they were exactly the same. The flour had an F on it for flour. The salt had an S on it for salt. And the sugar had, guess what, an S on it for sugar. And I don't know why they were the same, but the sugar and the salt were exactly the same. 
So one day my grandmother got in a hurry, and rather than putting sugar into that chocolate cake, she put a cup of salt into that chocolate cake. And I'll never remember, just remember taking a bite of that chocolate cake, and it made me want to gag because, guess what? It was the wrong ingredient. You can have a cake, and you can put the ingredients you want to in it, but if it's the wrong ingredient, guess what? It turns out bad. And the same thing will happen when we try to experience revival in this place on August 18th. If we don't put the proper ingredients into the pot and mix it up and wait on God to do something incredible, then what the Bible promises will not happen. So this morning, we're just looking at ingredients. And this morning, I want you to see the ingredient that was present in Acts chapter 2 and must be present in this place if we want to experience revival. And that is lost people. People who need Jesus Christ must be present for us to experience revival. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. And that's what must happen in this place. Last week I talked a little bit, if you were here, about D.L. Moody and just about his ministry. One of my favorite quotes from D.L. Moody is this. He used to say this a lot. He said, our greatest fear should not be failure, but our greatest fear should be exceeding at something that doesn't matter. Our greatest fear shouldn't be about failure, but succeeding at something that really doesn't matter. As I look around, especially America, I see a lot of churches that are successful but they're successful at things that really don't matter. There is only one thing that God has called our church to do, and that is go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if we are not making disciples, we can do anything we want to do, from build buildings to have big budgets to have great technology, whatever it is. But if it is not making disciples, then we are not doing what God has called us to do. And there is only one way to make disciples, and that is through sharing the Word of God the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the problem with the church in America. The church in America likes to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But for it to be good news, the people must know that there is bad news associated with it. And listen, there is bad news associated with the gospel. And that bad news is sin. And every person in this room are sinners. And that sin separates us from God. And that sin kills us. The Bible says in Ephesians that we are dead in our transgressions. We are dead in our sins. And then that's where the good news of Jesus Christ comes. Because Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. And to save sinners. But the church in America doesn't talk about sin anymore. So we have so many people that are in need of a Savior. But they don't know that they are in need of a Savior because they don't know about sin And the only way you can know you need a Savior is to know that you are a sinner. And so we must preach that message that sin has separated us from God, but Jesus Christ will restore what sin has destroyed. But so many churches will not preach that because they don't want to offend anyone. They don't want to turn anyone off. They don't want people to leave their church or whatever it is. And so they just share the good news. But listen, that is heresy. The good news of Jesus Christ is heresy unless you first share The bad news. Because without the repentance of sin, there is no salvation. None. And that is according to the word of God. And for the life of me, I don't understand why churches won't preach the whole counsel of Scripture. But what I believe is that there has just been really a theory just a thought that has come in and snuck into the church that most of you would not say, would you would say you wouldn't believe in. 
But I believe in my heart you probably do believe it because of the way you act and the way you live your life. And that's the theory of universalism. Now, universalism is very simple. All universalism says is in the end, everyone's going to be saved or everyone's going to be right with God. And here's the thought process behind it. People will say this, and you'll probably hear this. They'll say, well, a loving God would definitely not send someone to hell if they really weren't that bad a person. You hear things like that, and maybe you haven't heard it in that context, but maybe you've heard it in this context. I hear this one all the time. Well, I truly believe that a loving God would never send someone to hell if they've never heard about Jesus Christ or if they've never had the Bible in their language. How could God send them to hell? Well, Why would God tell us to take the gospel to the nations? Why would he say, go into all the world and preach the good news and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? If we didn't need to share the good news with everyone, then the best thing we could do was not share the good news with anyone because if they never heard the gospel, then they would be okay, right? Does that not make logical sense? Well, then that's not what God said, is it? God said to go and make disciples of all nations because all of us, no matter if you know it or not, are lost and you are dead in your sins and you need the good news. But in our minds, I think we have bought into the lie that we believe, well, God is love, and yes, He's love. And surely God would not send someone to hell that's not deserving. Well, the problem is, people don't understand that we are all deserving of hell because we have sinned. And because of that sin, we've separated ourselves from God. And I know if I were to take a poll and I were to ask you if you believe in universalism, no one in this room would raise their hand. But you live every day of your life like you believe universalist thought. Because when is the last time you've told anyone about Jesus Christ? If you truly believed what the Bible and the Word of God says about sinners and that they will spend an eternity apart from Him in a place called hell, then in my mind, I would think every person you come in contact with, you would tell them about Jesus. But that's not what happens, is it? Because we go day after day after day after day. And we see people at work and at school and our neighbors. And not once. We say, hey, I just want to tell you what Jesus has done for me. We don't even say, hey, would you just come to church with me and worship? We live our lives like closet universalists. And because of that, the true gospel of Jesus Christ is never preached. And we think, oh, someone else will do it. Well, no, they won't because God called you to do it. So this morning, I just want you to see what was present in Acts chapter 2. On the day of the greatest revival that the world has ever experienced. But as we read this, this is what I want you to understand. Not only did the world experience revival then, the world's going to experience revival again. Because the Bible is explicit in this. Just as the church began, the church is going to end the very same way. I want you to see that in Scripture. So let's just look here in Acts chapter 2. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1. So this is what the Bible says there. It says, On the day of Pentecost... 
Now let me just stop there because I want you to understand what the day of Pentecost means. Because in our mind, most of us have experienced Pentecostalism. You've probably been to a Pentecostal church, and in your mind, that's probably what you're thinking about when you read that on the day of Pentecost. But that's not really what Pentecost is. The word Pentecost, it's a Greek word, and all that word means is it just is the name of a festival that was celebrated every year in Jerusalem. Just like they would celebrate the Passover festival, and that's when we got Jesus being crucified on the cross, and we call him the Passover lamb. Every year, 50 days after the Passover, they would always celebrate Pentecost, always 50 days. And that celebration of Pentecost was just a harvest festival. And it was a harvest of first fruits. Whenever they would start gathering the wheat harvest, the first thing they would do is come and they were commanded to celebrate. So this was a festival where all Jewish men would bring their families and they would come to Jerusalem. And it would be like a holiday in our day, much like Easter or Christmas. They would all flood to Jerusalem and they would all celebrate. They would all worship. And then the priests were given a specific task on this day of Pentecost. They would take two loaves of wheat bread and they would take those loaves and they would bake them from the first fruits of the wheat that were taken and they would offer them to God. So it was a harvest festival. And just like the Passover celebration pointed to Jesus Christ, the harvest celebration, the day of Pentecost, points to something as well. So that's what the day of Pentecost means. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Verse 5. At that time, there were some devout Jews from every nation in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by these believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking in our native tongue. Here we are, Corinthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and all areas of Libya and Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts of Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, and all we hear these people speaking is our own language about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other. Now, all these people from all over the world that Acts chapter 2 just mentioned, every one of them are lost. They don't know that they have a need for a Savior. They don't know about the sin in their heart that has separated them from God. And so on that day, they hear believers who were filled with the Holy Spirit of God speaking the good news about Jesus Christ and all the good things that God has done in their own language. Even those believers couldn't speak that language because God was present. Anytime we experience revival, lost people are there and lost people are saved. And so on August the 18th, that week, we are praying that God would show up and move just like he did in Acts chapter 2. 
The only way that will be possible is if lost people are present. And the only way lost people will be present is if you go to the lost people and you invite them and you tell them about the good things that God has done. And you bring them to church so that they can hear the word of God preached so that they can understand it just like all those people from all over the world heard it in Acts chapter 2. You say, I know you're thinking in your heart, well, how in the world can I do this? Because I'm very aware of the statistic, and maybe you are too, that 80% of all Christians who come to church have never shared their faith with anyone. 80%. That is 8 out of 10 people sitting in this room right now have never told anyone about Jesus Christ and shared their faith outside this church. So I know you're thinking, how is that possible? Well, I'm going to give you a simple story to show you how that is possible, and it's in John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we see a story about Jesus meeting a woman. We call her the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. But that story goes, Jesus and his disciples are passing through a region called Samaria. Now that doesn't mean much to us, but in Jesus' day it meant a lot. Because the Samaritans and the Jews, which Jesus was, they hated one another. They hated each other. It would be much like if you go to Israel today, you would have Palestinians and you would have Jews. And they despise each other. They have racist thoughts about each other. They want each other dead. It's the exact same way in Jesus' day with the Jews and the Samaritans. So Jesus and the disciples were passing through Samaria to go where they needed to go. And it was the middle of summer and it was hot and it was the middle of the day. And the Bible says Jesus got tired. Just like you and I get tired, guess what? Jesus got tired. And not only was he tired, he was thirsty and he was hungry. So they stopped at a well, Jacob's well, right in the middle of Samaria. And Jesus wanted a drink. But the disciples knew he was hungry, so they go and they try to find Jesus some bread. And they try to find some bread for themselves because they're hungry as well. And as Jesus is sitting at that well, there is a woman who comes up. And this woman comes up in the middle of the day, which was very unusual in Jesus' day, because always women would come to that well early in the morning before it would get hot, but they would also come early in the morning because they needed the water from that well to do everything they needed to do that day. They would use that water to drink, they would use it to cook, they would use it to bathe. That water source was imperative to their lives. So they would come at the first of the day and do everything they needed with it the rest of that day. So it was unusual that a woman would come to the well in the middle of the day, but this woman wasn't like all the other women. And so she comes to the well, and as she's walking up, Jesus just asks her a question. He says, hey, can you give me a drink? And the woman's shocked that a Jewish man would even speak to her. And then Jesus says something else. He says, well, if you really knew who I am, you would ask me for a drink of water, because the water I give is living water, and you will never thirst again. And so they continue to have this conversation. And they somehow get off into worship and they talk about true worship and what is true worship. And then the lady says to Jesus, she says, I know that the Messiah is coming. And then Jesus just simply says this, I'm he. And he says, hey, why don't you do something, Marie? Why don't you go get your husband and bring him back? And the woman says to Jesus, well, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, I know you have five. And in fact, the man you're with now, you're not even married to him. And this woman is perplexed again that this man, thinking that he's a prophet, knows everything about her. But really, she comes to realize that this is her Savior. And her life is changed forever. And the Bible says she leaves her jar or her pot that she was going to get water, and she runs back to the village. And about that time, the disciples are coming from that village. She's running too. And they come back with a loaf of bread, and they say, Here, Jesus, eat some bread. You need it. And Jesus says, My nourishment doesn't come from this food. My nourishment comes from doing the will of the Father. 
And about this time, the woman who he had just met with at the well had made her way back to a village called Sychar where the disciples had just been. And she goes and she tells everyone she comes in contact with, hey, you need to come and see this man who's told me everything I've ever done in my life. You need to come see him. And guess what happens? Everyone in the village wants to come see what this man told her because they know a little bit about this woman. And she's had quite a life. And so all these men come streaming out of the village. And as these men are coming, Jesus gives the disciples who are sitting with him just a parable, a proverb. And he says something very simple. And he says this, it's in John 4. But in John four thirty-five, this is what the Bible says. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up, look around. The fields are already white unto harvest. The disciples thinking Jesus is crazy. What's he talking about? We're trying to offer him bread. He won't take the bread. And now he's talking about all the wheat in the fields that hadn't even been harvested yet. And Jesus is saying the fields are white unto harvest. But he's not talking about the wheat that lines the hillside there in Samaria. He's talking about those men and women coming down the street from the village of Sychar. Because he sees them. And in Jesus' day, when someone would go out in the middle of the day in the heat, they didn't have baseball caps like we wear. All they had to put on their head were turbans. And guess what color they were? They were white to reflect the sun. So he sees 50, 60, 100 men. I don't know what it is, but he sees them coming from the village. And he says, look, the fields are white unto harvest. And the disciples never see it. Guess what village the disciples went to to buy bread? Sychar. Guess what men they brought bread from? The same men streaming to come and see Jesus Christ. But they never saw their spiritual need. They never even thought about their spiritual need. All they cared about was the grumbling in their stomach and the bread that they could buy from them. Problem is, we're just like the disciples. Every day of our life, we go into villages just like Sikar, whether it be a village of work, a village of school, in our neighborhoods, or whatever it is. And we see individuals every day, and we look into their eyes, and we never see their spiritual need. We never see their lostness. We never see their need for a Savior. And Jesus is saying, Look, the fields are are white unto harvest. But the problem all around us is the harvest is rotting in the fields because we never go and do what we've been commanded to do. And all we have been asked to do is just what this woman did. She just went to the village where she lived and she just said, come and see. That's all she said. Come and see. That's a good invitation for Jesus. What did Jesus say? Come, follow me. What did Jesus say? Come, all ye who are weary, and I will give you rest. So she says, come and see. I know it is hard for you to go and to tell someone what Jesus has done. I know it's hard for you to go and share Scripture and to share the good news because you think you're going to mess it up. You believe the lies of Satan or whatever you believe, and you don't do what the commands of the Bible tell us to do. But this is a simple invitation that any person in this room can do. Just like this woman from the village of Sychar. Just go, come and see. I've asked you over and over, and we've talked about an app for the revival. And it's 714 Revival, and so you can go to the App Store or Google Play, and you can download that. 
714 Revival. And all that app does, it just gives you reminders to pray in the morning, in the afternoon, at night. It gives you ways to serve and ways to fast. But it also has a place where you can just put individuals' names, people that you know who are lost and need Jesus Christ, and you put their names in that app, and it will remind you to pray for them daily. And it will give you things to do, like write them a note, and to serve them, just so that you can really earn the right to invite them to revival on August the 18th. So if you download that app, and you put your neighbor's name, or your friend's name, or coworker or whatever it is, your family member, if you put their name in there, over the next several weeks, you're going to be praying for them daily, day after day after day after day. God is going to burden you with their hope. And then He's just simply asking you to invite them to come and hear all the good things that God has done. That's what happened to these men in the Sikar village. They came and they heard. I want you to listen to what happens when they come out and they meet Jesus. Verse 42 of John 4, this is what the Bible says. It says, Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him for ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. They heard Jesus Christ speak to them and their life was changed forever. Because not only when you have revival do you need the lost to be here, you need the Word of God to be here. You need the preaching of the Word of God. And that's what happened in John chapter 4. Guess what happens in Acts chapter 2? The exact same thing. When those people who for all over the world heard in their own language the good things that God had been doing, the Bible says that then Peter stood forth and he began to preach about Jesus and the good things of Jesus. And this is what verse 37 of Acts 2 says. It says, Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what must we do? What must we do to be saved? And then Peter tells them what they must do. He says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. When lost people are here and the word of God is preached, what happens? It pierces their hearts and they believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And guess what happens? Lives are changed and a harvest, a harvest is collected. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost at a harvest festival. And guess what will happen at the end before Jesus Christ comes? A harvest will be collected. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 14. And the good news about the kingdom of God will be preached throughout the whole world so that all the nations will hear it and then the end will come. That's why Jesus says, wake up and look around. The fields are white unto harvest. The church began with a harvest. The church will end with a harvest. And guess what's supposed to happen in between? A harvest. That's what the church is to be about. We are to be harvesters going into the world and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And if you can't do that, would you at least go and say, come and see. And invite them to church on August the 18th. So that they can see and hear the good news about Jesus Christ. One of my favorite stories about missions. Is about how missions and the word of God made it to Korea. The Korea Peninsula. Now this is before Korea as we know it today. Divided into the north and south. But in 1886. Korea had never heard about Jesus Christ. Today. 
by percentages, especially by percentage of population, there are many more Christians in Korea than there are in the United States of America by far. But in 1886, that wasn't the case. And there was a missionary who was working in China named Robert Thomas. Robert Thomas, all Robert Thomas did is he worked for a Bible society, the Scottish Bible Society. And all they did was hand out Chinese Bibles. And that's how they ministered and missioned throughout China, just trying to get the Word of God spread. But Robert Thomas heard about the need in Korea and that there was no one there sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he started studying Korean and figured out that the Korean language and Chinese language were very similar and that Koreans could read much of Chinese so he decided that he was going to take as many Chinese Bibles as he could to Korea. And he found out about an American ship, a trade ship, that was going to travel from China to Korea. So he boarded that ship and they made their way to Korea in 1886. But as they were making their way to that island, the Coast Guard off Korea didn't know what the ship was there for. So they attacked that ship and they actually sank that ship just off the coast of Korea. And just before the ship sank, Robert Thomas grabbed as many Bibles as he could and he jumped into the ocean and he swam to the shore. As he made it to the shore, those same Korean Coast Guard who had just sunk the ship met him on the seashore and they began to beat him with clubs. As he was being beaten with clubs, he took the Chinese Bibles that he had in his hands and he shoved them into the hands of his captors before they killed him. That's how the Word of God made it to Korea. And today, there are more Christians in Korea than the United States of America. Think of the love that Robert Thomas had in his heart for his enemies. Now, I doubt any person in this room is ever going to experience anything like Robert Thomas experienced. All I'm asking you is to have the same love in your heart that he had for those who were beating him to death with clubs. For those who you love and are in contact with every day of your life. Love them enough to get them the Word of God. Because the Bible says in Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. And if you can't get them the Word of God, just give them a simple invitation to come hear the Word of God. And then if we have lost people here and we have the preaching of God's Word and we have prayed, guess what God will do? What He promises to do. He will show up and He will move and He will save. And we will experience revival. I bet if you would have been in the village of Sychar that day when the woman came telling everyone to come see Jesus Christ, I doubt that you would say that that village was ripe for revival. I doubt if you were in Jerusalem on the day of Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, you would say, oh, Jerusalem's ripe for revival. Remember just 50 days earlier, they crucified Jesus Christ. Probably nobody in this room is thinking Northport, Alabama is ripe for revival. Guess what? It doesn't matter if we're ripe for revival or not. God says the fields are white unto harvest. It doesn't matter what you think. It only matters what God says. So be obedient to do what His Word commands. And we'll let Him do the rest. Bow with me, Lord. We thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for Your promises. Lord, I pray that you would just be faithful. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be faithful. So Lord, I pray for every person in this room.
pray for your spirit to fall upon them and to move in their heart. Lord, I just pray that you would use this day to change eternity. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning as we close, we're just going to close with a time of response. Time for you to respond to God's word and what God has said. And Maybe this morning that response is just to pray. Maybe you want to come to this altar and pray. Maybe you want to stay where you are and pray. I don't know. But maybe God has laid on your heart individuals that you need to pray for. And that you need to go before in prayer. And minister through prayer. So that God can work and move in their lives. So maybe you just want to take your app and pray for the people in your app. I don't know. Whatever it is. Just pray. Maybe this morning you're here and you're the one that needs prayer. Maybe like James 5 says, you're suffering. Maybe you're sick and you just need someone to pray over you. If you come, we'll pray over you. And we'll try to help you any way we can. Maybe this morning you're here in this place and you're lost. Maybe through the Word of God and through the preaching of His Gospel, you understand the need that you have for a Savior. If you need a Savior, if you'll come to this altar, we'll tell you how you can be saved. This morning you just respond to God however He leads. So stand as we worship.